0: Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 243. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're honored to have with us the highly regarded and acclaimed author of Granite Kingdom, Eric Pope.
1: Thank you, Barney.
0: Hey, Eric, how you doing? I'm doing fine. And so this book came out, Granite Kingdom, it came out in last November, November 2022. And it is now available to purchase. Where you can buy your wherever books are sold. You can get it from your local bookstore. You can get it from any online bookstore. Publishings. You can also get it if if you're so inclined to buy it off of Rootstock Publishing. So we'll probably talk near the end of the near the end. But you also got the bug. Now you're writing a second book called the Macedonian Sun.
1: Correct. Now you've done your homework. yes well that that was that that's actually the first book uh that i wrote and but it's been a lot harder a lot longer road to get it published i have a i have a publishing contract that i signed uh last summer i was just notified a couple weeks ago that it won't come out until spring of 2025 oh wow okay which is very you know that's almost three years rootstock um, I am glad to say I signed the contract in November of 2021 and it came out a year later. Right. That's amazing. And so, you know, they, and I, I thought that was a long time, but I understand now that it's not. And yeah. uh, I'm very grateful that it came out as as soon as it did.
0: You know, and I, I gotta say like I, somebody who is, you know, from, from Vermont and I really understand that everybody knows about, Rock of Ages Quarry, everybody knows about Barry, Vermont being central to the quarrying and the granite industry. Learning about this book that you put out there, you were really talking about, because you know Hardwick very well, that Hardwick actually was the biggest finished granite producer in the world. Is that how it was?
1: Yes. Well, we say the country, but I, I think it was the world. Um the, the, the granite there, there were a huge there was a, a huge deposit of granite in Woodbury about seven miles south of the village of Hardwick. Hardwick was on the rail, the main r- railroad line, of what was the St. J and L C for a long time. Uh and they the granite was not as as refined as the berry granite, but it was a very good quality. It was very uniform. And it was well suited for, for construction of buildings. Hmm. And, uh, the early 1900s was like a golden age of, uh, cl- classical architecture where they put up new state capitals, city halls, post offices, and, um, the granite from Hardwick, uh, was used in many of those buildings. Uh, and it really was the, the leading provider, um, its first big Contract was for the Pennsylvania State Capitol, which uh, required four hundred thousand tons wow. of stone, of finished stone. So that far exceeded what Barry was doing. Barry was, you know, uh, had 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 monuments and and things that were very refined and and great artwork, but in terms of volume, Hardwick was way ahead of everybody else for. Unfortunately, for a short period of time, really the time before from around nineteen hundred until uh world war one mm. and then it went into a decline during the twenties and and petered out when when the depression came
0: right. now how long were you sitting on this story and a long, long and, time a long time so talk to us a bit about you. And and you, you mentioned also in a previous interview that you're talking about that you just really like to read some of those the the historical events through the Hardwick Gazette, and specifically pre World War One era. What was about that era that really kind of drew you into drew you into the stories? Well, right.
1: So when when um, when we bought the paper, we we lived right on Main Street above the office, uh, and in the attic there were all these uh, bound volumes of the newspaper and. I liked history so i turned that into a source of a column going back 5 10 and 80 years back and that era was when most think were so much what was going on i mean it was an it was an industrial town it was a town that had um electricity had was taking over from steam and they had cutting edge t- t- technology for their time mm-hmm. um and they that allowed them to produce a lot of granite very quickly uh they were also a union town so that attracted workers from europe and canada so they had a lot of skilled workers from 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 italy who who did the fine work uh and it it was a very successful place and really um the, the leader in this industry mainly because of one person who happened to be a great salesman so he went out and got the contracts, and then he came back and he had had very good managers of his company and very good workers, and they produced a
0: great volume. And so what made you decide to actually turn this into, as we say, it's a historical fiction? There's a little bit of mystery, and there's a little bit of, as you, as you tell the story a bit, what made you decide to make this as a historical fiction and make a fictionalized town called Granite Junction instead of using Hardwick? And instead of making it into more of a historical book of actually just right. being historical,
1: yes. Well, uh, I, I think it um novels uh, kind of can give uh, uh, kind of can can put emotion into a story and, and mm-hmm. give it lifeblood if if the author is successful at, at doing that. Um, and it's it's more it's more engaging, um, and and you also. The author has to attempt to make you feel like you are there, and that 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 helps the reader a lot as well. I mean, there have been very good histories written about Hardwick. In fact, one of the great resources that I had was from a man named Paul Wood, who was a summer resident in Walden, and he did he's done exhaustive research on the technology used by the granite companies in Hardwick as well as the railroad. And he mm. like he mapped out all all of the r- railroad spurs in, in in the village of Hardwick, of which there were like thirty. Um wow. So, but that you know that doesn't tell a story that grabs you. Um, when I was when I started to research it, um, the the um, the president of the Hardwick Historical Society, another great resource. Um, her name is Wiz Dow. Mentioned that um, that there were two, there were there were thirty. Different companies going on in and out of business, and but they're in Hardwick and in the granite industry, in this time period. But um, there were two main players, and uh, one was this man George Bixford, who was the great salesman. The other one was the guy who actually first saw the potential for the for the granite quarry in Woodbury, but um, he lost his financing, and 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 when he came back in, he never caught up to what Bickford was doing. And he became a second fiddle, and um, Wistow said, and, and from what she had read, he didn't like that very much. <laughs> and that, and I said, okay, well there, there's a start. There's a conflict that that I that I can work with. Um, and uh, but then beyond that, you have to have a protagonist, and you have to have a well, really you should have a villain. You have to have boy boy meets girl, uh, and so th- this book has those things. Um, and the villain works for uh, the second fiddle producer, and and has a real hatred for him, and uh, decides to to sabotage his operations, and several deaths w- result from it.
0: And and I believe that the sabotage actually that's actually based off of a real historical event, correct?
1: Well, uh, well, the accidents, the accidents are true right. um they
0: weren't sabotaged as far
1: as far as we know um, oh, okay uh, but they were yes it, uh granite is the granite industry was a dangerous industry people you know these, these huge blocks if it tipped over a man would be crushed um all sorts of things can happen you know if, if in the, the first accident um he, he cuts a cable but if a, a cable breaks you know, this thing that weighs 20 tons is out of control and anybody who's in its way is going to get killed.
0: So you mentioned that you you, you found the time frame you wanted to tell this story. Second to that is when you actually had to create characters and protagonists. And The pr- protagonist is a young reporter for
1: the, the newspaper. Uh, and in addition to the granite industry, this book is a lot about a weekly newspaper in that era, and um, and of course that draws from my personal experience, but it also reflects the ta- the technology at that time and, and how things were uh, handled by newspapers. Once I once I had a villain um, mm-hmm. whose name is Bob Blackstone, uh, that he he kind of drove that that storyline. I mean, he, okay, he was the wow. one who was, right. who was who was do- who was doing. These uh, these bad deeds, and it was up to the reporter eventually to to try to figure out what what was happening. Bob Blackstone, uh, f- from my point as an Arthur, was always fun whenever I had him on stage because he was going to do he was going to do something bad. He's going to say something bad. He's a bad guy, but yet he also had a back he also has a backstory. He 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 had wanted to be to own a granite company himself, and and he kind of got. Um, T- t- taken advantage of and got put behind the eight ball, but he's a very good worker. And right. the, 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 second producer, the second, the second fiddle um, producer uh, grabs onto him because he's, he's a very good worker. And in that, from that position,
0: he's able to do what he does. So you created the villain first as the first character when you started making this story? Well uh, no,
1: I guess, I guess the protagonist was, was, I, started okay. with him but but it was the it's the villain who who drives that that story line. okay you know it's what he's doing. Okay. I will mention this this is an inverted mystery in which after the first chapter the reader knows who the bad guy is and okay. the protagonist
0: does not. did you end up liking to write for some characters over other characters?
1: I will I'll just uh, I was no. No, I, okay. I, I I enjoyed them all, but okay. but villains and there are a couple other bad guys too. They're easy to write for because mm. you know, they're acting badly and that's that's kind of what we that draws our attention. Right. I mean, people who are always good guys and never do anything wrong, that's not
0: interesting. But the bad guys are interesting. Did the characters start doing things that you weren't planning on? Did they oh, were yes. you in control the whole definitely. time?
1: Definitely. No, definitely. Definitely they start doing things that um yeah it is kind of interesting to put to come up with a situation and try to figure out what they would do what they would
0: say right and did you already have an outline in place did you know how the book was going to end even though you said at the beginning you are ready said like an inverted mystery the audience the readers knew who did it but did you already have planned out how the protagonist was going to solve the mystery
1: uh, no, not not from the beginning. I mean, I knew that, I, I guess I knew fairly early early on, there have to be a confrontation between the protagonist and, and the villain. Right. Um, and they would take place at, at the Granite Quarry. Um,
0: and then they kind of worked that out at the end, later on.
1: Right.
0: And how, how, how difficult was it to you actually to put involved, like, all right, because based off of a historical setting, was there something you had to do through developmental editing or having an editor say, actually what you're bringing up didn't happen in, or that technology didn't exist quite yet. Or was there some things where you had to like artistic liberties and making sure the story flowed a bit better?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you do have to uh, watch out for, for anachronisms um, where, you know, be using phrases that didn't come up. For instance, I wanted to use the phrase at one point, California, here I come uh, from from a song, but that was a song from from the twenties. So I, had, I okay. had to change it. But what, but what I did do was uh, go back during that decade, from like 1900 to 1910, and took events that may have happened in 1903 or 1901, and moved them up into this one-year period that the book takes place in. So yes, I I did I did move some things around, but they were all accurate at their time Hmm. as an example um there was a chinese laundry in um hardwick in 1900 but there wasn't one in 1910 but i moved it up and i used it as an example of the of the racism and and prejudice that existed throughout the country and in this town as well
0: right because i did see somebody mention though that you didn't what was also omitted, in a way, was the French Canadian influence during Hardwick at that time.
1: Uh, well, so y- yes, and and yes, like you you're good to point that out. Um, and in retrospect, maybe I should have worked a little harder on that. But there, um, there, there were very few references to French Canadians. Um, okay. And, although, in fact, uh, there's a murder that takes place that that they do solve it and it is committed by a french canadian and this is up in walden um Um, but so yes and there was there was uh, some prejudice against the french canadians uh harder became a very french canadian town about 20
0: years later okay All right. Um, So as you mentioned earlier about some of the anachronisms, did you, was there any phrases or anything in there that you say a modern reader might not understand what this term means um, that you wanted to put in that maybe like an editor said, this doesn't make any sense, Eric?
1: There may be some terms that they don't understand, but they're very, very few because,
0: you know, I I didn't want to use terms that I didn't understand. Right. So, talk to us a bit about your 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 writing process. So, did was the Granite Kingdom a book that you actually started writing after you sold the Hardwick Gazette?
1: Well, yeah, it was. It, it kind of uh, sat dormant for about thirty years. Um, okay, and and actually, one one of the reasons why I decided to move ahead with it was that I had a bound volume from nineteen August nineteen oh nine to August nineteen ten that uh, there had been a, a second copy in, in the in the morgue the archives that i had bound and i took with me so i had a very good uh document to to work from so okay. that that was kind of kind of the starting point and i i did frame the book uh with with two historical events that took place once one was the anarchist bombing of the los angeles times in 1909 um uh, and there was a fear in the country of of, of anarchism because at that time the, the, there were anarchists who were promoting um, violence in order to, to to take down the government. The president mm. McKinley had been killed by an anarchist in 1901, um, and then the other incident that I wanted to work in was the um, the shirtwaist factory fire in New York City the following year, um, in which 30 or 40. Uh, women got died in a fire. Um, and it really was a shock. And it, uh, and it didn't, uh, it, Hardwick, it did not apply to the, the, um, the workers at Hardwick were, were well treated, uh, and they were very well paid. Um, and I will say, I will just mention that they had, many of the workers, including some in the book, had electricity, running water, in, in, in indoor plumbing, and even some had central heating, and half a mile up up the road, the farmer had none of those things. And electricity didn't come to some farms in Vermont, um, you know, for 20 years later or more. Um, right. So th- in some ways, they had a very good standard of living, but there was a big problem with uh, silicosis. And you know, if you think of, if you think of, uh, asbestos is bad. Silicosis is, uh, with granite dust is even worse, and in wow. the granite uh, sheds, I mean, they were they were honing down these very hard stones, and there was so much granite dust in the air that they said that the light from from uh, the, the windows up, up high did not could not reach the floor because it was so thick. It, and on the one hand, they were well paid, and the other hand, they really did did have some real complaints, um, and that and that's that's mentioned in the book, and um, I think there was. I wanted to get in a lot of this history, which I found f- fascinating, but I hope it didn't go doesn't get in the way of the story that I'm telling because a novel stands or falls on its on its storyline.
0: Right now, was there anything in in your book in your first draft, like you mentioned, it's like a historical event or or a, one piece of history that you really enjoyed that an editor said you got to cut this out, Eric? It's doesn't move it doesn't move the story along
1: no no that i mean i I guess if if i mean certainly there are many 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 sections of the book that i wrote and then discarded Mm -hmm. but so when you get to the publisher um you get a copy editor and that's the person who would be asking those questions and a, a lot of questions were asked and a lot of changes were made but nothing substantial like that
0: how did you find the time to sit down and actually uh, get this book finished?
1: Well, I, I didn't start this t- until I, I retired. So, mm-hmm. um, and I, I mean, I was kind of interested in, in writing books in the past, but I just put it aside because and didn't quit my day job because I knew I couldn't, I felt I could not make a living at it. And I think mm-hmm. I was correct. Um, so I retired and then I had the time and, um, so, writers have different methods, but I would uh, just sit every five or six days a week. I sit down in the morning and I would devote the morning to, to writing. Um, and I feel that's essential. Um, some people say you should write a thousand words um, a day. So, I, I would aim at that. Um, uh, although, that if, that if I did write a thousand words, it would be edited five, six, seven times, or discarded, just saying, oh, right. this didn't work. So there you know there were many days, maybe maybe entire weeks that I was working on something that ultimately didn't get into the book. That does give it a little more depth in or I mean, I, I, it gives me a greater sense of, of what even if something ends up just being one paragraph, at least I know the backstory to that paragraph and that's helpful. Right,
0: right. And, and so, is it something along the lines where are you long, long hand out, or are you somebody that will type it right out and delete, or how does that work for you?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I certainly know of people who and have heard about people who write longhand. Um, because I was a journalist, I was used to writing on first a typewriter and then on, on a computer. And I right. I won't I won't do it in any other way. And um, there are other people um, that uh, that dictate it now. You know, you can dictate it. You can have the computer read it back to you, which my wife does, but I don't. Um, so, so I mean, so I am old fashioned, but old fashioned now is
0: just using you know a laptop. That's old fashioned, right? Um, and so, as you brought it up with, with your journalism background, how has that helped you be a a good uh, long prose fiction author
1: uh well I, I don't think it helps you with with the creativity or it doesn't help okay. me with, with with the creativity um i, I ser- certainly think that you know when you have constantly been writing and it doesn't necessarily just be journalism i think it could be true of 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 a lawyer as well mm-hmm. for instance um i think that, that, that just the constant habit of working on it uh, i think i think journalists are used to to editing um You know, I was a writer and an editor, and so a lot of self-editing is feels very
0: um, natural to me. So, when you when you put out the draft, were you were able to find rootstock right away, or how did that work?
1: (laughs) I I was going the uh, the traditional route of trying to get an agent, and um, my first book fail I failed to get an agent. Second book, I failed to get an agent. So then I was uh, plan B is to go directly to to, um, publishers. And in the case of this book, I, I said, well, I want to have a, I want to have a Vermont p- publisher because that will be the main market and they will have a good feel for, for, for the topic. So that, that's how I found Rootstock.
0: Were they the ones that picked out the the cover design? And
1: Yes, they did. And, uh, and it's interesting. They, they came up with a couple of, they gave, give me like, gave me like five versions and I showed it to a bunch of other people. And, um, and a couple of us agreed that we liked one cover that showed that had two pictures on it, one of a village and one of the, of the quarries, cause that's what this kind of was about. Right. And, uh, Steve, Steve MacArthur at Rootstock, he, he listened to me and said, well, that's fine, but we've already decided that it's this, um, this <laughs> and, and, and he, and he was right. He was right. I mean, I, I mean, I exceeded, um. To it because I knew he had more experience, but the more I thought about it, the I mean, I always liked it, but um, the, I think it's a great cover, um, right. and that and that is that is uh, the Fletcher, well, the, what was called the Fletcher Quarry, um, which is actually described like on page three of, of the mm-hmm. book, coincidentally.
0: Why? make a fictional town in the first place. Why did you not want to say this is a fictionalized version of Hardwick and kind of give Hardwick that name? Well I thought it was important to be fiction
1: the the actors have to be fictional because it's as soon as I presume mm-hmm. to know how they're going to act in a certain scene or what they're going to say or what they're thinking. I mean, right. it has to be fictional. I mean, so this this man who this great man uh, who who drove this industry, George Bickford. I mean, he's clearly who George R- Rutherford, the um, the owner of the big company in the in the book. He's clearly that's who he's based on, but he has to be a different character because right. you know I don't know what he was thinking, um, right. and I'm and I'm attributing thoughts to him that you know maybe are unfair. Now I I don't it, well actually. I mean, I do make some, some suppositions and he does make, he doesn't make mistakes um, that um, I, it has to be a fictional character. So once I, once you make that decision, well um, uh, this has to be a fictional place. Okay. In my mind, right. even though right. it's clearly Hardwick and there's a map in the, in the, in the book that's based on Hardwick. I mean, you you would recognize it, and I'm sure you do recognize it. Um, and, but it, and and I I wanted I want the purpose of writing the initial purpose of writing the book was to let people in Vermont know that Hardwick had a had a real uh, fine history background. I mean, when I was there, Hardwick had a reputation as being a hard scrabble and very rough town, uh, and I don't think that's the case now, but that was the reputation that it had, and it and yet that people didn't realize how successful it had been back in 1910.
0: Right, and so I'm really curious as well is that is, is there any, because it takes place in 19, 19, 1910, around that era, pre-World War I, uh, is there any desire or drive to maybe tell another story with the same characters, like in, uh, say, uh, years later? Uh,
1: Well, I I told myself that if this book was, wildly successful that I would do a uh, follow-up book to it. Um, and it is, it is an interesting story. Uh, but it would be a different kind of challenge because this book is set in one year and, yeah. you know, we kind of go through the seasons and everything, you know, some if something leads, if something, if a question is posed in early in the book, it will be resolved within a year. Uh, Hardwick's decline was very slow. Um, well, well not, not that slow, but it, it, it would cover a period from from 1914 to 1932. And so that would be a real challenge. I mean, how, how do you, for me anyway, because I have not, I have, that's not what I have done. Now I have to do something else and it would be a challenge. Right. In, in Vermont, in, in Hardwick, I have the newspaper. I have the Hardwick Historical Society. I have this guy named Paul Wood who's done a lot of research. Right. And, you know I, I, there's so m- i'm just able to put in so much more context and detail than i was in that first book
0: and i and i gotta say what i what i love about this is that as you as we mentioned at the at the top of the show that you're really touching on a part of vermont history that not a lot of people are aware of uh, well,
1: it, it was it's, it's a fascinating era, um, it, but and there were a couple of stereotypes that I want in addition to what hard stereotype was. Um, there's another stereotype from that era is in, in books like um, The Jungle by Upton Sinclair and other books, all the other books I could find in that era. The main theme is the workers. Many of whom are immigrants are horribly exploited and living in mm. squalid conditions and taken advantage of in every which way. And the and the owners are fat cats who are just just feasting off the the uh, the profits that they make. And that's not that doesn't describe that's not accurate for for what was what happened what I saw in Hardwick where the workers are very well paid. Admittedly, the working conditions were dangerous, but they were very well paid. And the um, and the owners. Uh, they're they're entrepreneurs. They're they they are they are they are creating things and um, they are creating jobs. So it's not black and white. And right. uh, yes, they're people and they have foibles and and they make mistakes. They're not bad people. They're right. good people. Right. Yep. To to be admired. Um, and and another another aspect of it is this is a period of great change. Um, I mean, there, there is there is a struggle. Uh, electricity is invented, in, the light bulb is invented in 1880, and it, it takes a while. But the things are constantly changing by because of e- e- electricity. And uh, there's new equipment, and there are new new ways of doing things. Um, things that have been powered by steam or even horses, uh, you know, ten years earlier, is now being driven by electricity. There are new inventions. Um, the the automobile is coming in. Um, th- you know, there uh, there's a character who uh, who sells bicycles, and then he then he sells he sells Kodak cameras, and then he sells Victrolas. But what he really wants to do is sell automobiles. And um, so you you see the change that's taking place, and it's just I found I found that fascinating.
0: Great.
1: Now, did you want to read a part of the book? Well, in terms of electricity, that was one thing I was going to just suggest. Um, and this this is uh, basically um, an editorial. And the, the, the editor of the Gazette basically sits around, a hard, uh, or the Granite Junction Gazette, sits around writing e- editorials. And the, Dan is the person who actually goes out and does the reporting. Um, and so this is actually an article. Uh, I'm going to read something that I edited a little bit. Um, and it's from another newspaper It was published in the Gazette because they would, the, the editors would sit around, they'd read all the other papers in the, in the state. And then they would, they would, they would quote some of them and then they would comment on some of them and they would have disputes. But I I thought this was interesting and kind of, um, sums up kind of the, what was going on at that era. Okay. So this is, this is the editorial. We are privileged to be living in an age of miracles. We assert today that a certain thing is impossible, and we find tomorrow it is an accomplished fact. We act as if the limit has been reached in the world's store of knowledge, and the next day we are knocked breathless by a discovery that revolutionizes existing conditions in some way. Some of us remember when mowing and sewing machines were the epitome of human ingenuity. Now they are as unremarkable as an ax. McCormick's idea for a reaper was jeered at before it revolutionized the agricultural world. Machines for the farm, the shop, the factory, the office, and the household have utterly changed our way of living. These commonplace conveniences would have spooked the elders of our grandparents' youth. Those old Yankees would have climbed the tree if they saw an automobile coming. They would have have dropped dead with terror at the sight of an airship. The discovery and application of what we call electricity overshadows all other inventions. But while we have made great progress in harnessing its powers, we still know very little about this marvelous stuff. We don't know where it comes from or where it goes. We don't know any more about electricity than we do about the hereafter. We only know that it is a mighty invisible force we have managed to apply to a few practical experiences or purposes. What we call electricity, for lack of a better word, will someday bring an end to the ceaseless toil of humanity once future generations gain an understanding of it. It will render labor as we understand it into a bad dream. It will conquer disease and prolong life beyond our present perception. It will greatly increase our pleasures as it expands our knowledge and capacities. We, we we have also heard in recent years about how uh, the Internet or, you know, um, the Internet computers are going to reduce our work and people won't have to work anymore. Well,
0: it hasn't happened yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Eric. So those that are interested in and in, in following you, they can go to ericpopebooks.com. Um, and also ask your local library to get the book as well please please do yeah perfect well thank you so much eric and listen so you got to come back on when macedonian sun comes <laughs> down we'll talk about that but it's not a, it's not a vermont
1: book though. I know
0: that, I that doesn't that's fine that's fine yeah. <laughs> Very Vermonty, very Vermontesque, Vermontish. All right, let me pull up my intro. All right. All right. Okay, let me just do the intro and we'll jump right into it. Okay. okay. All right. Here we go.